Welcome to Radar Contact, the audio show that teaches pilots how to speak professionally and with confidence to air traffic control. And now, here's your host, airline pilot, author, and host of ATCCommunication.com, Jeff Canarish. So I just returned from a six-day airline trip a couple of days ago. The trip was put together by my airline to deliver a Boeing 767-400 to Singapore for a heavy maintenance visit. It seems like a long way to fly to perform maintenance on an airplane, but the contractor in Singapore strips the airplane down to its bare bones, inspects every single part of the airplane, and then rebuilds the airplane to a like-new condition. Apparently, the contractor in Singapore can perform this work in less time and at less cost than can be done stateside even when you consider the cost of ferrying the empty aircraft about 9,000 miles each way. I know when I talk about using labor overseas to save time and money, it might spark a debate about the fairness of corporations outsourcing work overseas at the expense of American jobs. That's not why I bring this up. I bring this up to explain why I was watching the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey at 3 in the morning in a hotel in Narita, Japan last Tuesday. To get the aircraft to Singapore... I flew with my crew to Anchorage, then to Osaka, Japan, and finally to Singapore. And after dropping the airplane off at Payalabar Air Force Base, where the aircraft contractor is stationed, the crew and I deadheaded back to Narita, Japan. Narita is the main airport serving Tokyo, if you didn't know. After four days of flying, I got a 23-hour layover in a hotel near Narita before heading back to the States. I ended up keeping my body clock on East Coast time, because all of our flights, although flown overnight on the local clock, were aligned with daylight hours as measured in Eastern Standard Time. To remain at a maximum alertness for my flights, I stayed awake at night locally, even on my layovers. And that's why I was watching 2001 A Space Odyssey at 3 a.m. local time during my layover at Narita. But I don't bring any of this up to talk about flying on the backside of the clock or about shipping jobs overseas, I bring this up so I can talk about the chess match between astronaut Frank Poole and the HAL 9000 computer on the Jupiter mission in the movie I was watching. In the chess match, Frank Poole looks at a chessboard projected on a flat screen display. He directs HAL to move his chess pieces based on voice commands. He says, Rook to King 1. HAL then moves the digital piece on the chessboard and then says, I'm sorry, Frank. I think you missed it. Hal then projects the subsequent chess moves to reach checkmate. At the time this movie was made, 1968, flat-screen displays and voice-activated computing were purely conceptual. Today, voice-activated computers are commonplace, although the technology is far from foolproof. But I don't bring any of this up to talk about voice-activated computing or about astronauts playing chess with a computer, or about flying on the backside of the clock, or about shipping jobs overseas, I bring this up to introduce the idea of voice-activated flying. When you work with air traffic control and ATC gives you instructions, you are engaged in voice-activated flying. ATC tells you what to do verbally, and hopefully you do it as expected. Like voice-activated computing, sometimes what ATC says does not translate well. You end up doing something ATC never intended. This disconnect between a verbal command and the action it produces seems to come up most frequently in tower-controlled airport traffic patterns. You know, I get 
quite a few emails from listeners who ask me to interpret the meaning of instructions they have received from air traffic control. Most requests for interpretation focus on the instructions given by airport tower controllers, and there's a good reason why tower instructions are sometimes misunderstood. Think about how a tower controller works. A tower controller has to control a large number of aircraft packed into a circular area that typically measures only 78.5 square miles. That's the area of a typical Class D envelope with a 5-mile radius, pi r squared. We all know that. It seems like a lot of airspace, but when you consider a typical Class C airspace covers at least 314 square miles, and the average air route traffic control center sector covers more than 1,000 square miles, well, the area of an airport traffic area seems pretty small. Basically, a tower controller shuffles a lot of airplanes inside a very small container. In addition to working with a relatively small chunk of sky, a tower controller has to deal with the fact that airplanes approach an airport from every point on the compass. As airplanes flow inbound and outbound from every direction, the tower controller has to sort and resort all those aircraft overflying the airport, turning inbound, heading outbound, and aircraft remaining in the airport pattern for landing practice. To say it is not an easy job would be a gross understatement. In order to accomplish this monumental task and keep airplanes from hitting each other, a tower controller is allowed some flexibility in the language he uses to direct traffic. While the FAA says a tower controller, like any controller, must use standard phraseology before adding to or clarifying the instructions with non-standard phrases, tower controllers occasionally go straight to the non-standard phrases to keep aircraft separated and flowing into and out of the airport smoothly. Things sometimes happen too quickly in an airport pattern for a tower controller to rely solely on a limited number of standard phrases to get the job done. Could you imagine the disaster if a tower controller said, well, I have two airplanes in the traffic pattern, they're about to run into each other, but there aren't any words in the air traffic controller's manual to cover the situation. Oh well, I'll just let them run into each other because I don't have a standard phrase to keep them separated. Yeah, that'll go over well. Of course, you and I know a tower controller is going to say what needs to be said to keep airplanes apart. The dynamic language of tower control is what trips a lot of pilots up. As I said earlier, it generates the most email from pilots asking me questions about tower instructions. So with that in mind, I'd like to spend a few minutes with you talking about some of the phrases that a tower controller uses that have tripped pilots up in the past. Far and away, the tower instructions that seem to cause the most problems for pilots are those that pertain to traffic pattern entry. First, let's talk about the different ways to enter an airport traffic pattern, and then we'll relate those to tower instructions and all of their variations. So, how many ways can you enter an airport traffic pattern? Quite a few, as it turns out. Let's list them. If you've spent any time working in an uncontrolled traffic pattern, you'll know the most common point of entry as at the midfield downwind entry point. Essentially, you fly the pattern by flying at a 45-degree angle to the downwind leg, intercepting the downwind leg at the midpoint of the landing runway. If tower were to direct you to enter at this point, the phrase the controller would use sounds like this. Cessna 9130 Delta, enter a left downwind for runway 36. Of course, tower may tell you to enter either a right or a left downwind for the landing runway, depending on traffic flow. A tower controller is not limited to having you enter the pattern only at the midfield downwind point. 
Tower may tell you to enter via a right or left base, and that sounds like this. Cessna 9130 Delta, enter a right base, runway 36. What occasionally throws pilots off is when Tower adds a distance to this instruction. For example, Cessna 9130 Delta, enter a two-mile left base, runway 36. What does Tower mean by two-mile? Is that two-mile slant range to the runway threshold as you enter the base leg? Does that mean enter base leg so you have to travel two miles on base leg to reach the final approach leg? Actually, what it means is set yourself up on a base leg so it leads you to fly a two-mile final approach. For your purposes, if you enter a base leg about two miles from the runway threshold, that's close enough for government work. Sure, by the time you turn on a final approach, you'll probably be a little less than two miles from touchdown on the runway, but that small difference doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. Let's now talk about something that has tripped up more than one pilot. When Tower says fly directly to the numbers for runway 36, what the heck does that mean? It means he wants you to fly from wherever you are right now directly towards the threshold of the landing runway. Frequently, this means flying some sort of weird angling final towards the runway. Well, how are you going to land out of an angling final, especially one that has you angling towards the runway with more than 5 degrees of angle measured to the runway centerline? And the answer is, you're not going to land from that. One of two things need to happen before you land from this situation. Either tower will redirect you to line up with the runway some distance before landing, or you'll be cleared to land, at which point you should do what you need to do to line up with the runway and stabilize on final approach well before landing. When tower tells you to fly directly towards the numbers, he's given you a shortcut to try to get you on the runway as quickly as possible. His motivation is either he has someone else directly behind you that also needs to land, and he wants to increase the spacing between you and that airplane behind you, or he wants you on the ground as soon as possible so he can launch one or more aircraft off the runway before the next arrival. Now, don't take what I just said as an invitation to rush towards the runway. You are not expected to, nor should you fly faster than normal or delay your speed reduction to land. By all means, if the tower controls you to fly directly to the numbers, comply with that instruction, but reduce speed and configure to land at your normal rate. Here's an instruction from Tower that achieves exactly the opposite of flying directly towards the numbers. Cessna 9130 Delta, make straight in runway 36. Though make straight in sounds like it means the same thing as fly towards the numbers, it means something entirely different. Tower does not want you to fly a straight line from your present position towards the runway threshold. What make straight in means is fly to intercept a straight-in final approach to the runway. Tower will almost always tell you where to intercept the straight-in final approach. If you hear Tower say, for example, Cessna 9130 Delta, enter a three-mile straight-in. Well, Tower expects you to intercept the final approach leg three miles from the runway threshold and continue inbound for landing. How you get to that point where you intercept a three-mile final is entirely up to to you. You can intercept the final approach from a 90 degree angle, a 20 degree angle, or any other angle, or even fly an arc towards the point of intercept. It doesn't matter. Here is how the Aeronautical Information Manual describes a straight-in final for VFR aircraft, and I'm quoting directly from the Pilot Controller Glossary of the AIM. 
entry into the traffic pattern by interception of the extended runway center line or final approach course without executing any other portion of the traffic pattern. In this situation and in any other situation in which tower's instructions are not clear or something seems to be missing, what do you think you should do? I can tell you this, the answer is not to sit there and drone straight ahead hoping tower will make a correction at the last second. No, the answer is to ask the controller for clarification. This is a hard and fast rule for all pilots. Anytime you don't understand what a controller wants or you think the controller has forgotten about your flight, speak up and ask. Be polite, be courteous, but be assertive. Get what you need from ATC to keep yourself flying safely and, this is very important, and in your comfort zone. In the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, astronaut Frank Poole moves his chess pieces across a digital pattern by voice command. airport traffic pattern, an airport tower controller moves airplanes around the pattern by voice command. A tower controller must use very precise wording to get airplanes to move where he wants and when he wants them to move there. If you and an air traffic controller misunderstand each other, a repeat of the instruction might not make things any clearer. Your only option is voice communication to speak up and ask the controller what he meant. That and being well-versed on the variations of air traffic control in the airport pattern are what will save the day. Hopefully, today, our discussion has helped you a bit with those variations. If not, or if you still have questions, let's talk it over. Write to me at jeff at atccommunication.com. My mission is to make the language of air traffic control easier for you to handle, and I can only do that if you and I spend some time talking about it. I can't read your mind, so please write to me and let's talk. Some weeks ago, I told you I was working on a new book called Radio Mastery for IFR Pilots. Now, the book is still in its rough draft form. As a matter of fact, I'm still writing the thing. But uh, I do have a passage here from the transition from approach control to tower control when flying an instrument approach. So what I'd like to do is take the next several minutes to uh, read a passage from the book to give you a sense of what this book is all about. And in this particular chapter, I've set up the situation as though you and I are flying in a Cessna 172 flying an instrument approach to Lancaster Airport in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You've received your approach instructions to fly the ILS approach from the approach controller, and the next thing that the controller says to you is... Cessna 30 Delta, contact Lancaster Tower 125.0 at pole queue. Cessna 30 Delta, 125.0 at pole queue. I read back... Polkey was an intersection on the final approach course at 7 DME from the Lancaster VOR. This time, ATC did not specify an airspeed to fly while on the final approach course. Apparently, there's no other aircraft close enough to warrant an adjustment to our speed. That means you're free to slow whenever it suits you. According to our DME, we are approaching Polkey. 
I'll switch the radio frequency to tower just before we cross the intersection. At 7 DME, I'll make the radio call to tower. Is the timing of my radio call to tower absolutely critical? Not really. Of course, I'd like to get the call into tower as early as possible so we can get the radio work out of the way and concentrate on flying the final approach. As always, our top priority is flying the airplane. If we are too busy with aircraft control at the moment we cross over the outer marker, it won't hurt a thing to delay our radio call to tower. We are now at 7 DME according to the indicator, but the radio frequency is in use. Lancaster Tower says to another aircraft, King Air 528 Romeo Foxtrot, traffic is on a 5-mile final. Fly runway heading, runway 8, cleared for takeoff. Runway heading, we're rolling. King Air 528 Romeo Fox says the King Air pilot. His readback was non-standard, of course. He said, We're rolling, which is a slang substitute for the standard phrase, cleared for takeoff. And the score at the end of the second inning is still 0-0. The King Air pilot had no runs, no hits, and one error. Hey, look at our DME indicator now. It shows we're at 4.5 DME, which, according to our instrument approach chart, is four miles from the runway threshold. How did I know that? Well, the runway threshold is portrayed on the approach chart at 0.5 DME from the Lancaster VOR. Here comes some public math. 4.5 DME on our indicator minus 0.5 DME on the chart equals 4-mile final approach. Here's my radio call. Lancaster Tower, Cessna 9130 Delta, 4 miles, runway 8, low approach. Even though Approach Control told us to report pole cue, it makes no sense to report pole cue when it's two and a half miles behind us. You are not required to report your position to tower, but it does help the controller identify your aircraft from other aircraft also on the final approach. Again, the more information about your flight that you and ATC agree upon, the less likely either one of you will be surprised. I think you can agree surprise is not welcome during a flight. Finally. I told Tower how we plan to end this approach. I said, low approach. Tower needs this information for planning purposes. I expect Tower to reply with climb out instructions, that is, what we should do after our low approach. You can deduce from my radio call that we are not going to land. Surprise! Sorry. Plan on flying the first phase of the published missed approach. Cessna 9130 Delta, Lancaster Tower, runway 8, cleared low approach, says the tower. Cessna 9130 Delta, runway 8, cleared low approach, I read back. Cessna 30 Delta, after your low approach, fly runway heading, maintain 3000, says tower. Cessna 30 Delta, runway heading, maintain 3000. That's all we need. Go ahead and fly the ILS to the published decision height, then follow tower's climb out instructions. ATC instructions always supersede published missed approach procedures. I have nothing further for you concerning this approach. You've done good. Let's pick it up in the next chapter and talk about how ATC handles your circling approach. Well, that was an excerpt from my upcoming book, Radio Mastery for IFR Pilots. Stay tuned to Radar Contact and the website atccommunication.com for progress updates on the writing and publishing of the book. And now, let's get to your question of the week. You are approaching a tower-controlled airport. You are 10 miles south of the airport. 
The airport is using runway 27 for takeoffs and landings. The tower controller says... Report three miles straight in for runway 27. Here's your question. Given your position 10 miles south of the airport, which of the following does the tower controller expect you to do? A. Enter the downwind, followed by a base leg that leads you to three-mile final approach, or B. Fly directly to a base leg entry so as to end up on a three-mile final approach, or C. Turn to the northeast now and then maneuver as necessary to end up on a three-mile final approach, or D. Fly directly towards the threshold of runway 27 and report three miles out. When you think you know the answer to this question, go to atccommunication.com forward slash answers. There you'll find the correct answer along with a complete explanation of how that answer was derived. Music for this show was provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com on a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Well, if you're flying this week, I hope you have a great time and beautiful weather. And if you happen to be flying into a tower-controlled airport and tower says something you don't quite understand, don't be afraid to speak up and ask the controller for clarification. I'm Jeff Canarish for ATCCommunication.com saying be well, keep in touch, and fly safe.